Good morning. I was obviously excited to just talk. I just came up early. Uh, I feel a little overdressed this morning. Um, you know, I, Stephanie, thank you for your testimony. Guys, I would just encourage any of you that have cancer, don't leave here without Stephanie praying over you. Like, she carries something that I don't. She carries something that many of us don't. It's the, you know, it's, it's the blood of the lamb and it's the word of the testimony and the testimony is most powerful from the one that was delivered from it. So don't, don't leave here without just letting her lay hands on you and let's just rid, let's just rid the body of cancer this morning. Right? That's just who God is. So I, you know, I, I leaned over to Pastor Mike before I came up and I said, Mike, what's the name of the series that you guys are doing again? <laughs> and I realized that probably made him nervous. <laughs> it's like, I wish you would ask me that like two weeks ago. Uh, but I, I knew basically what it was. And so, you know, living the kingdom life. And, and so for me, and I think we're all, one, we're all designed to live a kingdom life. Uh, it's, it's in us. There's this deep thing in us that we can't, uh, literally, we, can, we can't scratch it. It's an itch that will not go away until you're released in it. And, and, but to understand the kingdom life, for me, I just, I love, I love the gospels, but when I just want to get back to, to the early church, I want to get back to God's heart, I want to get back to the people that walked with Jesus, how did they live a kingdom life? What mattered to them? How did they move? How did they talk? How did they, and I understand they didn't have a lot of, they didn't have a car, so of course they, you know, they walked a lot of, they didn't have social media. I understand that it was a different time, but we can still look at their heart. It doesn't matter how they delivered it, it's the heart behind that they delivered it. And so there's just, I want to start just by in Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves, that meaning, you know, at this point, uh, after the day of Pentecost, you know, we hear this amazing uh, sermon, if you will, by Peter, and it says 3,000 were added to their numbers and so there was now we're up to 3120. I don't know how many gathered, but it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders. Miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now just hear that. Now, now think about that. We're talking about 3,120 people had everything in common. Like, how do you do that? How, how is a leader, that's a question, Lord, how do I lead 3,000 people into the idea? And, and, and later on in chapter four, it talks about they were just of one accord. And I think we have to challenge, I mean, that's the heart of God that we as the body of believers live in one accord, not have 37,000 different denominations and argue over things that don't matter. He says, I need you to be in one accord. And the question is, Lord, what are the things that matter to you? And so therefore, what are the things that matter to me? Because most of the stuff in the body that matter to us is not on the heart of God. It's religion. Right? We're arguing about things that the enemy has convinced us are important. And so we've got to ask ourselves, how did they live in one accord? It says, selling their possessions and good, they gave everything as they had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I love how it ends. This is, this is the thing that I think we have to get. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who are being saved. 
the beginning point, we've got to understand, that's what's on the heart of God, right? There's, there's two significant things that I can do in life. I can come into the kingdom, and I can be part of walking other people in the kingdom. Other than that, from an eternal standpoint, nothing I do really matters, right? And that's the heart of the church. Every day, they were added to their numbers. So I just, I love the idea. That, that's actually, for a pastor, that's like utopia, Right, everybody's on the same page. We're eating together. We're praying together. We're worshiping together. We're selling our stuff for people of need. And then every day we see people added to our fellowship. That's this beautiful thought. And, and so again, they were devoted to the teachings and they had signs and wonders. They lived in awe of the Lord, which that's a whole sermon in itself. What is it going to look like for us to live in awe of the Lord? We don't typically. Right? They sold and shared everything that they have and the Lord added daily. That's at the beginning point. About 10 days ago, I was invited to the first time ever. I've never been in a prison before. I mean, I did a little soft time, but it wasn't prison. Uh, <laughs> joke. So I was in a prison for the first time, and they were doing a, they somehow talked the warden into doing a men's retreat. And so me and about five other men uh, went in and did a two-day program for them. And, and just the, the excitement and the awe of the Lord. There's 1,500 people in the prison, but there were 200 early believers, and then some other people snuck in, and just their excitement for the Lord, their, their awe of the Lord, and, and so I just felt like, you know, I, they asked me to kick the thing off, and so I started, and I just, I just felt like the Lord said, why don't you start off by letting me show them my power, and so we just asked everyone that was sick to stand up, and, you know, God healed about 45, 50 people uh, of just some, some severe stuff they were walking in. Uh, and again, I, I look at the signs and wonders, though, often what happened after the signs and wonders where people were added to their numbers. Right? It's not to entertain us. Right? It's, it's, it's an act of compassion, and it also gives testimony to the cross that it is real, that all this came through the cross. The price was paid at atonement, and, and it's available to us. And so we see this, this, this amazing move of healing. And then after I spoke, this young man came up to me and says, I'm not even supposed to be in here. Uh, kind of snuck my way in. He says, I'm a Buddhist. And he goes, actually, I was a Buddhist. He says, when you spoke, the minute you opened your mouth, something fell on me like I've never experienced before in my life. And I did, didn't get into it. He just, I just know that I don't want to be a Buddhist. And I said, well, do you want to follow Jesus? He said, yes. Because again, what happens when, when we're in awe of the Lord, when we praise the Lord, when we worship and break bread together, we move in his power, people get added to our numbers daily. And that's what the Lord's calling us to. So that's, that's the fellowship that we see them in. And I'll just kind of walk through, you know, most of us are, are very familiar with uh, Acts chapter 3. It's when Peter and John walked to the gates, beautiful. Uh, at the time of prayer, and this, this beggar, he's 40-year-old, he's been, he's been a cripple for 40 years, he's out there begging, so it's something that people had probably seen every day, just asking. Someone dropped him off, and he begged, and someone took him home, and he asked Peter and John for money, and he was begging, and they said, look at us, you know, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, and so they reached down and they grabbed him, and his, this, this man stood up in faith. It just, said that his, it just says he started getting stronger, and he was healed. And so they walk into the temple courts. It says, I can just imagine this scene, Peter and John, walking in the temple courts of someone that they have seen every day 
for 40, almost 40 years out there begging for mercy. And the next thing you know, he comes in and says he was holding on to Peter and John. And so I just imagine him, you know, me being Peter and the chair being John and just kind of balancing himself because he was still getting stronger as he walked. And you can just imagine someone that you've guys known for 40 years that just walks in here with me and the, the place is just blown away. The temple's going crazy at this moment. And they're all looking, they're actually looking at Peter and John which if you look at the Gospels, that would think about how many times Peter and John had longed to be first. They had longed to be recognized. They had probably thought so many times about when they were recognized as leaders, when they were recognized as lovers, when they were recognized as, as, as significant in this movement, when they walked around with Jesus. But in this, they came to him, and they looked at Peter and John in some special way, and Peter and John basically said, why are you looking at us? We didn't do this. This is, this is Jesus Christ. This is the power of the risen Lord. Remember the guy that you crucified? I mean, look at him. There wasn't a lot of political correctness or softness when you look at the early church. I mean, they were hard. They were truth-telling. They were extremely compassionate and loving, but they went right at the heart of the truth. Remember the one that you rejected? Remember the one that you were part of crucifying? Remember the one that you wanted a murderer set free? It's by that name that this person who couldn't walk can now walk. It's by that name, it's for his glory. Don't look at me. And he gives this amazing, and they're just, it says they were just in awe of the Lord. So verse four, this is when it gets kind of interesting. You know, the Sanhedrin and the, and the security in the temple, they didn't like this. One, they didn't like the disruption, but they definitely didn't like the idea that the name of Jesus was being lifted up. They didn't like that. And so they come to him in 4 verse 1. It says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sanhedrin came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many heard this message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Just love that. Again, when God moves in a powerful way as the body, we should, that should be a time that we walk people into the kingdom. So we were at 3120, the end of you know, chapter two, it says that they were fellowship and number were added to, the, to them daily. So I don't know how many, but it was a significant number of believers that came into it. And so they put them in jail overnight. It says the next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, and there was Caiaphas, who was the old high priest, John, Alexander, and other men of high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them about what power. Now, what power do you do this? It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders have rejected, which has become the capstone. And so salvation is found in no other name. I love the reaction of the high priest. Keep in mind, they're, they're powerful people. They had Jesus crucified, so they have these people stand before him. In verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men and were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So he asked that the Sanhedrin asked him to leave. 
and they're debating, how do we handle this? I mean, this is a real problem, right? If you're the leader of the Jews, if you're leading the high priest, this is a problem when the name of Jesus, who you've rejected as the Messiah, is actually you see a boldness and a zeal and an awe and a passion for the Lord that they probably haven't seen in the temple for hundreds of years. It's like, what do we do with this? As they begin to discuss it. So they called him in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John replied, judge of yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking what we have seen and what we've heard. Do with this what you want. The fact that I'm not submitting to you, that'll be up to God to judge, but for me, I cannot help but speak about all that I've heard and all that I've seen. Then verse 21, it says, and then after further threats, they let them go. I just wonder what the, the, the further threats were. I wonder how much harsher they are. I wonder how they got in their face, understanding that this is a big deal. If this name of Jesus, if this continues to happen, we have a major problem if this continues. Right? This, this, this sect of the way is going to be a problem. This is the part that really, so just imagine they, 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 they've, been, they've been in fellowship. In a lot of ways, it sounds like at the end of Acts 2, they've been in a little a Christian bubble, if you will. Right? They just kind of, it's been just, oh, this is beautiful, this is great, nothing's wrong. But not a care in the world. I don't guess they worked. I don't know what they did. I mean, somebody had to sell something to feed them all, right? So they're just, they're hanging out, and they're loving, they're fellowship, and they're worshiping, they're, they're, they're doing the works of the Lord. And this is where a time we see now the enemy's coming after me. He says, okay, we've got to put a stop to this movement. We've got to do something different. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So again, I don't know if this is 5,000 people that are gathering. I, I tend to think it's probably more, I think in terms of the original 120 that were there at the day of Pentecost that would have been a tighter-knit group, but you know, I'm not sure. But, but I think in those ways, and, and I and think when, he, when they brought them together, I just imagine this conversation, it actually, it actually makes me think about Luke 14. And did it, did it take them to that place that, you know, Jesus, you know, gave a, a, what would be an unusual teaching where he talks about the cost of being a disciple. He said, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go against war with another king, Will he not first send out and sit out and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send out a delegation while the other's still a long way off and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, he who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. And I think that's what they were talking about. I think, I think they were talking about, can we win this battle? 
right? That's an army of 20,000. We're an army of 10,000. Can we win the battle? Or, or should we send out a delegation and should we make peace? Should, should we handle this differently? Because this is the time the Sanhedrin has already told them, this is what's going to happen. If you keep doing what you're doing, this is going to be the ramifications of your call. I just wonder at what point someone stand up and said, do you remember what Jesus said? Do you remember said, if we, do, if we don't hate our life or, or hate our mothers and our brothers, if we're not willing to give up everything, that we cannot be his disciple? Actually, another way of saying it, um, we're not worthy of being his disciple. We're not worthy to look to bow down before Jesus and call him Lord. We're just not worthy. And here's what's interesting, and this is always hard for us. We sit there and we go, okay, I'm putting everything I have, my life, my, 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 my wife, my kids, all of us, and we're not talking about poverty. We're not talking about, I mean, we're not talking about having to move to a new school. We're not talking about switching jobs. We're not talking about this is, this is life or death that they're sitting there talking about in this gathering. And they have to make a decision. What are we going to do? What are we willing to do? Just a, I believe this was a defining moment in the church, right, just to see what direction the leaders were going to go. And, and there's, actually a, there's actually a prayer prayer that they end with. They begin to talk about it. They talk about the prophets. They talk about that actually it was in the power of God and his will that Jesus was crucified. So they're, so they're talking about the lordship and the sovereignty and his, I mean, that, that nothing can stop the king. But they also realize that Jesus did die, right? And so they begin to look at it and go, what am I, what am I gonna do? And there's this prayer. In verse 29, Just think about the hardships that are in your life. Think about the, the things that you pray for. Think, of, think about the things that you're crying out to the Lord for relief, that you're, cry, that you're crying out for mercy, that you're crying out for deliverance. I just think about, um, I mean, just think about how we pray against ISIS. This would be an ISIS kind of thing. And think about how at times as believers, we just say, Lord, will you wipe them off the earth? Lord, will you just put them in their place? Just name whatever you say. We're just, we, we give these powerful prayers of, of how the Lord needs to deal with our enemies, how he needs to deal with those against us, because how can the movement go forward if you don't deal with our enemies? How can the movement more move forward if, if my finances don't change? How, how, can, how can the movement move forward and you fill in the blank? But listen to their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats. If you're waiting for more, there is no more. He says, just consider their threats. Lord, if you wouldn't mind just acknowledging to us that you're mindful of it. I know you're busy running the galaxies, and if you wouldn't mind just saying to us, you don't have to tell us what you're going to do. We're not going to say, Lord, we'll move forward if... How many times have we prayed that prayer? Lord, I'm all in if you do that. You remove that little obstacle and I'm in. It's not what they said. They said, Lord, what we're acknowledging is that you're a good daddy and that you're up to something. And you're not inviting us to death, you're inviting us to life. You hear that? 
often the things that are set before us that terrify us the most is where God says, if you will walk through your biggest fear, what's on the other side of that is an invitation to life. And so some of us are here that we're not living a life, we're not walking, living this extravagant kingdom life, or actually in a lot of ways, we're not even living a life. If you were just honest, you go, man, I come to church, I, I love my family, I'm a faithful tither, but the truth is, I know I'm missing something. And typically, if you want to know where it is that you're missing, stare your greatest fear in the face. Jesus Christ, the idea of getting on the cross, not being crucified, separation from the Father, bearing the sins of the world. Gethsemane is like, Lord, is there any way to take it from me? And the truth is, it's on the other side of his greatest fears where he found his destiny. It's true for most of us. Embrace your greatest fear, walk towards it, Say, Lord, be mindful of this. Here's what they say, be mindful of it. But as for me, here's what I'm gonna pray for me. Here's what I want for me and my family. Here's what I want for the people that I walk with. Lord, this is what I want for the rock. This is what I want for Castle Rock. This is what I want. Now consider their threats and uh, be mindful of them. And he goes, enable your servants to speak your word with greater boldness. Lord, you don't have to change anything in my environment. These threats do not have to go away. What I'm asking you for, and by the way, Peter was pretty bold. I mean, he got in the people's face that crucified Jesus, and he told them what he thought about him. He told them who Jesus was. And I just wonder after that meeting when they were going home together, if they ever looked at each other and go, what did you just do? Have you ever been in those videos that you're all amped up and you say some things and you're passionate and you're bold and on the way, on the way home you go, that's going to have to cost me something. The enemy instantly starts speaking to you. But I love it. When they gathered as a body, Lord, be mindful of them. And here's what I'm asking for me. But here's what I need for me. Lord, make me bolder. Lord, I'm not going to pray for my spouse to change. What I'm going to pray for is that you make me more loving. You start with me. Like, I need you to change me. I'm not gonna pray that my work environment change. Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask that you go in and you make me bolder and you make me more committed to your cause. You make it to where I leak the kingdom out in a way that has never been leaked before. Lord, I'm not worried. You be mindful of my boss. You be mindful of my situation. You be mindful of my Vendors, would you be mindful all of it? What I'm asking you to do is change me. What I'm asking you to do is make me bolder. That's what I need. I need me. I, Brian Jenkins, needs to be bolder. He says, Lord, if you'll do that, make me bolder. And here's what else we're asking. There's two parts of it. Make me bold. Let me spit in the face of fear. He says, then when I stretch out our hands to heal, will you perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit, your holy servant, Jesus? Isn't that a beautiful picture? Lord, I'm all in. I'm not worried about the cost. I've measured it, and I'm all in. If it costs me, me death, if it costs me my job. Now think about it. We, we, we read this, and we go, I hope I'm glad they made the right decision, and please don't misunderstand this. I talk to so many people that go, man, I'd love to share the gospel at work, but it's not allowed. I could potentially lose my job. Lord, will you please 
change the environment of my work so I'm allowed to talk about your goodness? Right here what it says is no. What you ask for is you ask for boldness. How you go to the workplace and, and honor your master. When I give you an opportunity, I want you to be bold. I don't want you to count the cost. But I want you to understand that I'm the Lord. If I ask you to do it, I've invited you into me, expanding my kingdom through you. I'm asking you to be bolder. And I'm also saying this, if you will reach out your hand and call on me in the name of Jesus, I will do things that your workplace has never seen. But you need to be bold. And you need to call upon my name. And you go, well, I was just wondering, is that a pleasing prayer to the Lord? Lord, is, it, is that pleasing for, for, for me to say, make me bolder? And by the way, I'll be bold, but don't leave me. I'm not going to be bold if you don't leave me. I'm only going to be bold if when I reach out my hand, if I speak of the name of Jesus, that you're going to back me up and do things that are going to go ahead and validate everything that I'm saying about your risen Lord. Like in some ways, that sounds like a prayer that maybe God wouldn't like. I will if. Make me bold. And back me up. And so in verse 31, I think it begins to tell us what the Lord thought about that prayer. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's a, Lord, it's a, it's a, it's a message that's pleasing to the Lord. And, and so when you look at it, what, what was the early church about? They were about the lost. They were in one accord for the lost. They wanted to see people understand and receive the good news because the good news is the only thing that transforms anything. You want to know what's happened with the church? I'll tell you what's happened to the church. We've lost our heart for the lost. And when you lose your heart for the lost, you make way for religion. And when I read through the Bible, the only thing that Jesus rejected or stopped to move was religion. It's knowledge without power. But if we're not motivated with love for the lost. If we're not motivated in every day thinking about, Lord, let me have an encounter with the lost. Lord, and when I run across them, let me be bold. Give me, give me wisdom. Give me revelation. Whatever they need, Lord, will you download it to me? So they'll have no doubt that Jesus is Lord. Will you do that? And so this isn't, this isn't meant to be a question with a sting. It's not meant to be at all. It's just a question. I think at times the, the Lord wants to ask us questions that it sometimes kind of go, ooh. Did you spend more time on the loss this week or analyzing the football game that's going to happen in a couple of hours? And by the way, I'm the chief sinner. The Lord... At times it was so bad, I asked the Lord, I said, what, what in my life grieves you? He says, your love for sports, put them down. Don't watch them, don't think about them. If I can't be your first love, so I don't say that with any, uh, any judgment. I just say, if we're not careful, 
And if we, if, if we don't get our heart back, if we can't get God's heart back, you know, we, we love to soak in the presence of the Lord. And by the way, there's nothing I like much more than soaking in the presence of the Lord and, and having him spirit, his spirit fall on me and just let him know how pleased he is with me. But you know what's more fun than that? There's one thing that I enjoy more than that. It's being part of leading someone in the kingdom. True or false? You leave, when you, after you lead someone in the kingdom, you could run through a brick wall. It is the most exhilarating thing in life. And we've lost our heart as a nation. And because we've lost our heart, we're full of religion. And where there's religion, we're not going to see mighty moves of God. And don't misunderstand. I'm not speaking that over this church. I'm speaking it over the church. And so, if the band's available, I always, this is just me, I, I, think, uh, I think the most important time of church is the five or six or seven minutes that we get to respond to the Lord. Right, that we get to respond to the Lord, saying, Lord, what do you want me to know and how do you want me to respond? That, that is church. Everything that we've done leading up to this moment is for me to hear to God and respond to him. I never want to be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. And until I can do what I've heard, I don't want to hear anymore. Right, we love a bunch of knowledge, but we're not even handling what we've been given. Let's, let me handle, Lord, give me a boldness and a desperation. Let your word become flesh on me. And so this line, final thought, and I just, want you, I just want us to end worshiping the Lord in any way the Lord leaves you. and just, just pray if you don't have a heart for the lost. It's a thing that I pray almost every day. Lord, increase my heart for the lost. Increase my heart for the lost. I'm so fleshly. Increase my heart for the lost. That's a prayer he will faithfully answer. Uh, now, I will say that I wasn't sure what I was going to do in the second service, but, but I feel like the Lord just kept, and, and I wasn't sure until I came up here, but, but the Lord, uh, through a, a conversation with Mike and I had and something else, just I feel like I'm supposed to speak something differently, something for the church. Um, and I just encourage you, if you have the ability to not run home, I'll even try to finish early so you can get home for a 105 kickoff. I know some of you have people coming over. I would just say, if you could stay, maybe a better question, ask the Lord if he wants you to stay. Ask the Lord if he has something for you. Father, we just say this to you, Lord. We just want to respond in worship. We want to respond in any way that you want, Lord. Any part of the altar you want us to come to, any, anything, Lord. If we want to just come and repent before you that we've lost at times what you're about. Spirit, come and point us to Jesus. Break our heart for the things that break yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.